Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel. And I'm Chris Delano. And we are the only ones uh, here this week. We are uh, doing our Flavor Gems of Corset 2021 today. And uh, I apologize in advance. I'm a little low energy. My stomach has not been feeling great, but I'll do the best I can to bring this episode. And uh, we've got a couple announcements to start our time with y'all. And uh, the first is a, you know, a reminder that we are donating our June Patreon money to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, a charitable group that works with black trans communities around the country to promote art, to promote black trans voices in their larger communities, to work with uh, legislation and preparing communities for discussing uh, legal things and activism and uh, helping helping groups lead that kind of work to try and get some laws changed for folks. Uh, if you are not in the know, we uh, lost a, uh, a medical protection so uh, medical professionals can now once again discriminate against trans people and fail to treat us. Uh, and not be punished for it. But uh, we did just get federal job protections, so we cannot be fired for being trans. So uh, mom said it's my turn on the civil right. We got we got one. <laughs> it just keeps getting passed around, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so, um, you know, that that's something we've been talking about all month. We have the donation link in our uh, Twitter account. That's at the Vorthos cast, all one word. And uh, we would love if our listeners could donate at that link, or if uh, that's not something you are financially able to do, uh, just sharing that link, sending it around as far as you can, and trying to get other people to help support that charity. That would be wonderful. We would greatly appreciate that. We also have some other news uh, to touch on a little bit, because uh, art is also part of the Vorthos community. And something that uh, is, I guess, breaking news as of time of recording, but will probably be discussed quite a bit over the weekend uh, on the magic show, whatever they call it. <laughs> the um, we- Weekly MTG. Weekly MTG. Um, I almost wanted to call it like the daily magic. I was like, that is not what it's called. Uh, on Weekly MTG this past week, they announced they were discussing the new Jumpstart set, which is looks fantastic. I'm really excited that it exists. Uh, and some questions have been raised about the fact that they have included reprints featuring art from a artist, uh, Therese Nielsen, who, I mean, there's not really a nice way to say uh, things about her. She's um, she she holds some very troubling, bad very gross personal beliefs and it's not good she 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 fell into the conspiracy theory side of right-wing american political i want to say thoughts but it's more tomfoolery but i also want to take it seriously so it's she yeah it's the you know the q on the pizza gate stuff uh it's yikes yeah it's very yikes it's very bad um she's been active in even uh, donating some of her art recently to some pretty far white wing charity drives. Um, but the they talked about it on the Weekly MTG today. 
uh, as a response to a question about how three of her art got art pieces got reprinted in Jumpstart. Uh, and Doug Beyer announced, um, or at least answered the question by saying that they have not commissioned her for a while, which you can tell by her not having any new art for over a year at this point. Yeah, her her last commissioned piece was Echo of Eons in Modern Horizons. So it's it's been a few years since she's been commissioned. Yes, and he specifically said that she will not have any... The last reprinted art that they will use of hers is going to be in Zendikar Rising. Um, I imagine that planning for art happens several years in advance of an actual set release. So I am just happy that we have some confirmation that uh, she's no longer going to be showing up in your booster packs or in your sealed product at all, hopefully, uh, following the end of this year. Yeah, uh, I can't really speak to those timelines, so I won't. But that's something that has obviously been decided internally and uh, kind of officially announced uh, today. Uh, well, last Thursday. <laughs> time, like, you know, as as we've mentioned on this podcast, time gets weirder when you record a thing on Thursday and release it on Monday. And with that, we head into our Flavor Gems of Core 2021, which uh, Corset normally wouldn't have a lot to do in a Flavor Gems episode, but I'm looking at our agenda, and this is as chonky of an agenda as it is for most regular magic sets. Uh, This this corset has a lot of really juicy Vorthos things going on in it. The first of which is uh, the suite of Planeswalkers. So we have uh, six Planeswalkers this time, one in each color, and then the colorless Ugin the Spirit Dragon, who is getting reprinted in Standard for the first time since Fate Reforged, which I am very excited about because that card is very fun to play. Uh, And the other cast, we have uh, the brand new Sand Mage Paladin Basri Ket, who is from Amonkhet and is a disciple of Oketra. Uh, I will talk a bunch about him on uh, Twitter later this week because the arena update is going to go live. But uh, basically, he he was a devotee of Oketra and uh, sparked when he retrieved the arrow from her trial in, in the in the whole uh, trial system they have on Amonkhet. So that's the trial of solidarity. And uh, he felt such elation from doing a good job and being uh, recognized by his god that he he sparked. And uh, when he eventually returned to Amonkhet, he it was after the hour of devastation, and he saw a world in ruin and learned the truth of Nicobolus's deception. And uh, where he could have gotten angry and cast his religion aside and uh, become bitter. Uh, he realized that despite the fact that Bolas manipulated everyone, there is still something true in Oketra's teachings, and knowing that she wasn't always corrupted is, is something that Basri keeps in mind. So he, he continues to be an Oketra worshiper even after her death, and continues spreading her teachings around the multiverse and keeping them uh, in his mind and in his heart. You know, as, as a paladin... His religion is something that is very important to him as a person and his magic. So uh, you can see, like on his breastplate, it's uh, the his breastplate is in the shape of Oketra's face mask from uh, her her golden god form. And um, 
he's a really neat character. Uh, I, I like his parallels with uh, Samut a lot. You know, Samut's a devotee of Hazaret. Uh, not in the same way, but uh, especially because Hazaret is still alive. Yeah, it's a pretty big difference. But, uh, you know, we now know that Basri and Samut both helped rebuild Naktamun and uh, along with Hazaret. And so uh, I am excited to see how everyone likes him. I'm really excited to have a character like Basri because we've, we haven't had a lot of these uh, positive portrayals of religious devotion in magic. A lot of the times the characters who are religious are fanatical zealots or they are uh, some way using religion for evil. And so having the opportunity to have like an actual religious paladin character whose devotion is is a good thing as a positive force is really nice actually yeah a, a lot of people have described gideon or Elspeth as paladins which i don't agree with i think they're both fighters because you know gideon and Elspeth don't really have any religious importance to their beliefs or attitudes or magics Gideon has a religious reawakening on Amonkhet when he sees Oketra, but, like, he comes from a world of gods, but was never necessarily, like, a god worshiper like that. You know, he doesn't keep Heliod in his heart and mind when he's traveling around the multiverse, just kind of the sense of justice that Hicks has taught him. Uh, so so Basri's really our first paladin planeswalker, which is exciting. Uh, if you like narcs. I, I love paladins. I play paladins. Um, I've played them several times in D&D campaigns. Uh, I've played them in other video games. I am not a particularly religious person, but I really love paladin characters. Uh, Chris, noted narc. Yes. <laughs> so we also have uh, Teferi, Master of Time, who, uh, you know, th this is kind of corset Teferi. There are a bunch of Teferi-themed cards in here. Uh, this card has four different art versions. Five. Which are like barely, they're supposed to be like different times of day or something. They're barely different. I'm not like the biggest fan of that treatment. I, I like the concept. I think the execution it fell a little short from how cool it could have been. But uh, they did a cool visual thing with this art that reminisces of the broken circular patterns from Syncopate and Dominaria, which is really cool. Yeah, we also have a return of Liliana, Waker of the Dead, in this set. Um, there was a little bit of confusion because she, she's as of Forsaken, she was using a different name. Um, but this is this is our Liliana, and she is returned. Uh, I'm I love this character, and I just love having her again. I, not much to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I can address like the Forsaken thing, which is that a corset is not the place where you put character name changing deep lore stuff in a position for new players to be confused by it. If Liliana appears in, like, a standard set, like, a non-corset standard set, I think that's a more likely place to see her with a different name. But, you know, th this is not where we're going to see it. The The big noticeable thing is that she is distinctly lacking the chain veil in her regular pack art. The, uh, the borderless art for her does have the chain veil in it, but that's okay, because that's fancy special art that isn't necessarily representative of those characters. Uh, at any specific time. Uh, then we have Chandra Heart of Fire, who is uh, one of my favorite planeswalkers. I I always love seeing Chandra back. Uh, you know, uh, she is one of my favorite characters to write for Arena, so that was always a treat. 
Uh, and then we have Garrick Unleashed. And this is uh, Garrick's first return to a mono green card after getting his curse cured in the Eldraine narrative last year. The Chain Veil's curse is finally lifted, and he can once again be the green planeswalker in corsets. Yeah, love to have Garrick back. We also have a whole suite of Teferi's friends, and we just spent... Quote-unquote <laughs> friends. Uh, Teferi's uh, historical relationships, I suppose. We spent the last two episodes talking about those, though, so I don't really want to go into detail. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we'll just run through them. So uh, from his time at the Talarian Academy, we have Baron Talarian Archmage, who uh, was his professor. Uh, from the Mirage War, we have Jorel, uh, Muanvoli, Recluse, Kervek the Spiteful, and Mangara the Diplomat. These are three mages who came to Teferi's Isle to investigate a big spike in power after Teferi invented his phasing magic. And then started a war that Teferi ended up ending. Uh, then we have Radha, Heart of Keld. Uh, Radha is a part elf, part Keldon warlord who traveled with Teferi during Time Spiral to help heal the Time Rifts. Radha had a Planeswalker Spark, but she had not ignited and ascended yet, and her Spark was burned out, sealing Time Rifts. So she doesn't get to be a Planeswalker, which sucks. But, um, you know, she, she traveled with Teferi a lot, and they, they, you know, he was kind of instrumental in her gaining a lot of power as a Keldon Warlord. Also, I'm gay. <laughs> I was going to say, she's she's too powerful to unleash upon the multiverse. It would turn every person gay. Uh, they already are. <laughs> then we have Sabira uh, Tulzidi Caravanier. Car- Caravanner? Caravanner. Words. Uh, Sabira is Teferi's wife that he met shortly after the mending. Uh, she leads a caravan that has existed on Jamora for literally thousands of years. And... They settled down for a little bit to have a daughter, Niambi, esteemed speaker, who is also in the set. And uh, after Niambi was born, Subira kind of went back with the caravan and continued traveling around and doing that thing. And Teferi stayed at home to raise Niambi. And we do know Subira is dead at this point because it's been a long time since they got married and had a kid. Niambi herself is in her 50s. And... That's kind of sad and humbling for Teferi, and he's a single father now, and that's really colored his ability to interact with other humans and empathize with them. You know, I don't think Teferi would have gone into war against Belsimlock and Nicol Bolas and now potentially Nufrexia if he was kind of the old Teferi. So, you know, we talked about uh, all of these events and characters in much greater depth in our last two episodes. So check out uh, Teferi before the mending and uh, Teferi after the mending. I definitely recommend you read uh, Martha Wells' stories about Teferi from Dominaria. Um, there's this wonderful moment where Teferi uses his time magic to stop Niambi from hurting herself when she falls. And it is, I think that is emblematic of who Teferi has become. And that moment right there just has stuck with me ever since reading those stories. Also, we have uh, a few other legendary creatures who are really interesting. Um, brand new creatures. Uh, we also have a reprint of Azusa, who's just not relevant to the story right now. Um, but in this set, we also got introduced to Gadrek the Crown Scourge, who is a uh, younger dragon on a plane that we have not visited yet, or at least we don't know what plane he's from. 
who's really obsessed with uh, stealing gold and treasures. It's weird for a dragon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who would see that happening? Uh, we also have a very interesting character in Vito, Thorn of the Dusk Rose. Uh, Vito is incredibly interesting to me because he is an Ixalan vampire who is adhering to the the traditional roles of the Ixalan vampires as we lost, last saw them. But this is after the return of Alinda, the Dusk Rose herself. Uh, he is sort of standing in opposition to her and her attempts to reform the vampires on Ixalan. Um, so he is fascinating, and I hope when we return to that plane, we get to see his interactions more with her. Yeah, he he's really fun, because Alenda woke up and returned to the Legion of Dusk, and is like, hey, what are you jerks doing? Be nice to each other. And Vito is like, knocks over uh, uh, a like sacrificial thing full of blood and says, nah, I don't wanna, and pouts. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, because of the way I just said that, now I can't imagine him having anything other than a John Mulaney voice. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so it's cool to kind of see a little bit post-Ixalan and, and how that religious fractioning is going to happen. Because I bet he's not the only one who is clinging to the older ways. It's especially interesting considering one of the most important religious artifacts of Ixalan is uh, missing. <laughs> Um, and was melted into scrap by Chandra. So, goodbye, immortal sun. Don't know what that's going to do to that plane. Then we also have the Biobox promo, which is an adorable uh, sort of pair of legendary creatures named Rin and Siri. Uh, Siri? Siri? I have to mispronounce things because Jay's not here. Uh, I Rin think and it's Siri. Siri. It's S-E-R-I. I would say Siri. Uh, inseparable. And they were... A, um, uh, a couple of orphaned pet cat and a pet dog who sort of took to each other and are now uh, inseparable. Cat dog. Cat dog. Yeah, the creature type is legendary Alone creature dog cat. cat dog. And they really could have just gone legendary creature cat dog. But I guess not. It's a shame the Simic mostly work with fish and amphibians because they would be the ones who could really do a cat dog. Uh, but those are the uh, the legendary creatures of the set uh, and the planeswalkers. We also have several legendary things that are not creatures or planeswalkers. Um, we don't get a lot of these in every core set because they're, most core sets want to focus on legendary characters. Uh, but one of them that is definitely eye-catching for this set is Chromatic Orrery. I love this card. This card is so cool. Um, it's a seven mana legendary artifact that allows you to spend mana as if it were mana of any color uh, and taps to add five colorless mana to your mana pool. Um, and it also has like five tap draw a card for each color among permanents you control. Um, but the most fascinating thing about it is the flavor text, which is visitors marvel at its design, unaware of the other world that inspired it. And if you look at the art, you can clearly see these five kind of glowing orbs circling around something silver in the middle. Uh, and it's it's 100% like a reference to Mirrodin. Even the name is a throwback to Vidalcan Orrery. And all around the pedestal for this, you can see Hexplate. So someone who had seen Mirrodin went and built this somewhere else, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we don't know where it's at, but it's, it's definitely an acknowledgement of Mirrodin. Which uh, doesn't exist anymore. So, goodbye, Mirrodin. 
Hello, New Phyrexia. Hell yeah, all will be one. Uh, we also got a, a cycle of shrines, which is the returning art or enchantment subtype that uh, Mark Rosewater had hinted at when he was doing his little hints for the set. Um, there are five monocolor shrines and then one five-color shrine. So we have, you know, they're all titled Sanctum of. So we have the Sanctum of Tranquil Light, Sanctum of Calm Waters, Sanctum of Stone Fangs, Sanctum of Shattered Heights, Sanctum of Fruitful Harvest, and then the Sanctum of All, which is a five-color shrine, which kind of like doubles your shrine triggers. But these are all a reference to the Honden cycle from the Champions of Kamigawa block. And they aren't Hondans, and they're not on Kamigawa as far as we know. Well, they, they are definitely Japanese influence, so I yes. wouldn't be surprised if they were intentionally set on Kamigawa, just different kinds of shrines. I don't think there's anything in the art that specifically says it's Kamigawa, but it could be. We haven't been there in a very long time. I mean, the fact that they're Japanese-inspired and we only have one Japanese-inspired plane, and their shrines, and the shrines have only existed on Kamigawa. I, I do recommend that you check out the cards, if only because each one of them, uh, with the exception of, I think, Sanctum of All, has flavor text that is a haiku. And they're all really good. Just A-plus flavor text work there. I'm not going to read all of them on the cast, because that's a lot of that's a lot of syllables to read. I was not on this text team, but uh, I love seeing stuff like that. Cycles are really hard to write flavor text for, and this one, like, crushes it. Uh, and then we have one last legendary enchantment, which is part of the Teferi vertical cycle. Um, each of the Planeswalkers got a vertical cycle, as it's called, where they had a common, uncommon, and rare card with their name in it that also uh, corresponded with their Planeswalker card at Mythic. And Teferi's rare was Teferi's Ageless Insight, which is a legendary enchantment. Uh, and it has some really wonderful flavor text as well. Uh, I mean, I'm always complimenting their flavor text on these cards. Um, but this one is a quote from Chandra Nalar to Teferi that says, Fine, you know more than me, but do you have to be such a show-off about it? And I love it because Teferi was kind of the original show-off planeswalker who was always trying to, like, make a scene in a way, um, either as a student or later on in his wonderful little short story with Joyra, where he just sort of shows off all of his beautiful accompaniments to being a mage of Zalfir. Um, so he and I feel like he and Chandra have a lot in common in the fact that they're both cheeky bastards. Sure. Yes. <laughs> they, they are, uh, Chandra's a little more goblin-y brained than Teferi is, but, uh, they both have good senses of humor. Uh, some cards we wanted to highlight from Vertical Cycles also include some of Basri's cards because they are, uh, you know, if you're not super familiar with Amonkhet, you might not notice these things. So, Basri's Acolyte is one of these cards, and this shows a Leonin, uh, Magic's cat people, who is uh, supportive of Basri and uh, also to Oketra's legacy, which is very strange because there are no Leonin on Amonkhet. Uh, as I mentioned before, religion is something very important to Basri, and it is kind of the thing that his entire worldview is built around. So he goes and evangelizes about Oketra's good word. When he is doing things for the sake of solidarity, he's 
doing that in the ways that Oketra taught him. He is passing on those teachings. So this card is representative of someone from another plane, Ilyanin, who is now kind of an Oketra believer, who, even though they are not from Amanke, and I think that's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, it's it's the kind of card, kind of like the orrery we were talking about earlier, that shows that the multiverse is interconnected in some ways, uh, especially via Planeswalkers. So uh, there's also Alien and on Basri Solidarity. So that is uh, just kind of a, a neat little facet where you can show Basri's influence across the multiverse in, like, really clear and concise ways yeah um it's not on our list but i just want to bring up that uh we also in that vertical cycle for garrick have garrick's harbinger which is a beast that uh kind of looks like garrick <laughs> um it gave me some real bonder vibes from ikoria and reminded me of how the bonders on ikoria will dress like their companions and uh, in this one garrick's harbinger kind of looks like he's got garrick's helmet on looks a little uh a little similar to me yeah, and then uh, we have a whole bunch of other cards that we want to talk about. So we're just going to kind of move through some of the smaller little flavor moments that we really enjoyed from this set. Yeah, um, I'll start us off with one of the first ones that I noticed uh, that I think a lot of people might have missed is we got a reprint of Concordia Pegasus. Um, and Concordia Pegasus was printed in originally in Return to Ravnica and then reprinted again in Ravnica Allegiance. Uh, and then once more in Corset 2020. Um, and it's kind of interesting to read the flavor text now after we've exited War of the Spark and we've gotten a little bit away from it. It uh, it had the same flavor text in Core 2020 and I don't remember us talking about it, um, but it's in the cloudy skies and dim light of autumn, a flash of white wings is a reminder that better times lie ahead. Uh, and it's sort of just nice to think of Ravnica recovering from all of the War of the Spark terror that happened um and having this card as a reminder of that in the corset is just nice to have hope is nice yes turns out we had a lot of cards uh from ravnica or at least several cards from ravnica in this corset and uh, another one that also had really good flavor text uh, is secure the scene which is a sorcery that exiles a non-land permanent and its controller creates a 1-1 white soldier creature token um, so you kind of get rid of something and then create a guard, uh, and it has the flavor text. You know, it's a great show when the Azorius arrests the props too. Judith, the scourge diva. So I don't know if this is pre war of the spark or post war of the spark, but the art definitely shows an Azorius guard standing in front of a, what appears to be a statue or a fountain or some kind of device that is absolutely covered in these Azorius ethereal sort of chains um, and it's just nice to hear from Judith, too. I hope that she's doing okay. Yeah, she's hot. I'm gay. Things that just make me laugh. We have a, a new Avon, Avon Gagglemaster, who is a goose folk. And I just love that art. I love that name. It's just, that's just wonderful. That's, it's so good. I aspire to do things that simple and that smile inducing a plus to whoever wrote that and a plus to the whole team who worked through that after you know all, all the coordinators and writers and editors and whatnot that that that's an all-star creative text work there 
Yeah, I um I saw some some great gander puns with that card floating around. I think it's the first goose person we've had, but we've also had like crane birds, crane avens, and it's uh, not the same. I think Kaikar is a is a swan. Even? Uh no, Kaikar is uh some kind of crane. Okay. So a couple of years back in Commander 2019, they made a card called Doomed Artisan, and it was for- last year, but okay, yeah. Um, last it feels year. like it was a couple of years ago uh, it feels like a decade ago um a couple couple of commander releases ago it feels like because we just got the new commander uh but they had doomed artisan and doomed artisan it's so for those of you who don't know i work in disability uh services as my day job um and so i have a, a lot of strong opinions on uh, disability and accessibility representation and doomed artisan is bad um, it was not a good job of showing people with prosthetics because it uh, implied that that was a bad thing that the person did not like um, and that it was something that should not be liked. Uh, but this person, the Tempered Veteran in Core 2021, has a beautiful prosthetic leg and it just is shown right there in the center of the card and it's beautiful and it's just really good to have some inclusion um, that is not predicated around it being, like, a negative aspect of this person's life. This comes off the heels of Winoda, who is a bonder from Ikoria, who is an amputee. She only has one arm. Um, that card is very powerful, and it's really nice to see that kind of representation on such a powerful piece of cardboard in Magic. And uh, it's something that Wizards has been doing a bit of a better job. It's it's something that is starting to be included in sets which is really nice to see. You know, it's, it's something we never really got before other than, like, Tezzeret, sort of. Body modifications are a little different, I feel. Yeah, like, it's it's not entirely the same, but also it's not really my place to go talk about all the nuance there. But, uh, you know, you know, characters with prosthetics or physical disabilities are things that are uh starting to creep into magic a little bit more and when it comes to any kind of stuff like this that we have in art uh stuff like this being like representation uh even just beyond uh race or something is uh you know body shapes body types ability and disability that kind of thing uh seeing more and more and more of that is a good place to be trending yeah, I don't have anything else to say about that other than I uh, appreciate getting that representation on the card. So a, a really cool flavor throwback we got was on this card, Primal Might. So this is a fight card where you can uh, change the size of the fightiness of the creature. It, you know, it functions as a pump spelling and fight card. And this art shows uh, an image of a very small member of the Sun Empire on Ixalan overlooking a city. And next to them is a big glowing form of Galta, one of the elder dinosaurs. Uh, it's, it's just like a ghostly form, so it's not like Galta themselves. Um, but it is, you know, you can tell from the posture and, and the body shape and some of the uh, spines uh on the head uh the fact that it like mirrors galta's pose in galta's actual card uh that that's a really cool throwback i like when stuff like that pops up we have uh another card set on ixalan um 
run afoul, which shows a sauropod eating a vampire. <laughs> it's also got some Atla Palani flavor text. Uh, and if you remember, Atla Palani was one of the commanders from Commander 2019 last year, where she says, uh, what did you catch today, my pet? Ah, it looks like a bit of vampire stuck between your teeth. And that's a, it's a good comforting feeling to know that the dinosaurs of Ixalan are still snatching vampires out of the sky and eating them. It's not comforting to know that Emperor Apatzek III is using the power of Araska to lead an offensive and, and conquer. Uh, he's a bad man, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, we also, speaking of having some cards on Ixalan, we also had several cards flavored with uh, Innistrad again, um, because Innistrad is a well that will just keep getting drawn from. Horror, good. There's no end to how many good cards you can get from Ix, uh, from Innistrad. And one of my favorite, well, a couple of my favorite cards are throwbacks to previous cards from Innistrad. Uh, and these are new cards. Uh, one of them is Frantic Inventory, which is a one in a blue instant card. You draw a card and then you draw a card for each card named Frantic Inventory in your graveyard. Um, this is sort of a reference to a card called Take Inventory from the Shadows Over Innistrad block which was one in a blue, uh, draw a card, then draw a card for each card name, take inventory in your graveyard. Uh, but it was a sorcery. And it didn't see a lot of play, so it's cool that we're getting an instant version of it. Uh, but also, the art features a character who looks very similar to the character on the take inventory art. Uh, it looks sort of like maybe a continuation of this character's story. Um, and then we also had, speaking of continuations of stories, uh, this wonderful card called Village Rights, which is a black mana, instant speed, sacrifice a creature, draw two cards spell. And this is, the art is done by the same artist who did a card called Village Cannibals from the original Innistrad set, which is one of the creepiest cards of all time. Sure is. Just features a person laying in bed looking up at these shadowy faces of normal human villagers standing around them, very clearly about to eat them. And so Village Rights sort of continues that story as you can now see these uh, these sort of same shadowy figures standing over someone holding a bowl and utensils and a rag as if, well, it's time to eat. Uh, the flavor Yum. text of it reads, You were so eager to take and consume, yet when asked to give, you refuse? Oof. Real creepy. Uh, yeah, we have one final Innistrad-themed card, Obsessive Stitcher, which shows a Scabarin building a monstrous Franken-zombie that is kind of the uh, the blue-aligned zombies in Innistrad, although this is a blue-black card. And uh, one of the things that I didn't notice on the first pass is that she is missing uh, her hand. She has a bandage over one arm. And then if you look at the skin tones on the scab itself, one of its arms is being finished off with the scabberin's own hand. So she, she has cut off her own hand and is sewing it onto her monstrous zombie creation, which is like perfectly morbid for Innistrad. See what I did there? I said morbid like the mechanic. Um, <laughs> and and that's just like, there's a lot of like kind of playful things you can do with horror. Uh, horror can be fun. This is kind of, it's a little like kitschy, but uh, I, I think it's really effective and cool as a like a visual thing in 
a set. There's one last card that might not be set on Innistrad, but I wanted to talk about it. It's a it's a devil, and devils sort of got their breakout in Innistrad. Uh, and it's called Hobblefiend, and it's just a devil that's uh, biting on someone's toes. Just want you to all take a good look at that and, and just think about it. I have no safer work comments about that card. <laughs> I don't either. I just, oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, if you ever wake up in the middle of the night and you look down at your toes and you see this thing about to take a bite, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> this Great. is why you should keep your feet under the blanket. Uh, yeah, there are other art references in the set, too. So Leafkin Avenger is a piece by Philip Irwin, uh, which is a reference to Leafkin Druid from the last core set. So this is the Leafkin Druid, just bigger and angrier. And <laughs> that's cool. I like when art references older magic art, even if older is only one year old. Yeah, and then um, we also had a, a couple of cards that... We would be really remiss if we did not talk about them. Uh, one of them is Conspicuous Snoop, which is, I think, Jay's favorite card in the set. Um, and is this adorable art of a goblin with its face just pressed into a window pane, looking in on something. Uh, it is a adorable card. It's got some wonderful art by uh, Zoltan Boros, who does fantastic work. Yeah, I don't know if we can tell what plane this goblin is from, what the goblin is up to, but it's a little goblin rogue just full-on face into the glass. It is maybe my favorite goblin art they've ever made. <laughs> like, it's it's really funny. Uh, I, I just love the entire flavor of that card. Uh, and then we also have, sort of on a more classical note... Uh, we have this beautiful, beautiful art for a card called Pursued Whale, uh, which is 100% a reference to Moby Dick. And Pursued Whale, uh, first of all, the art echoes some classic sort of Moby Dick reference art with this giant whale cresting out of the water with the ship underneath it. Specifically a sperm whale, like in Moby Dick. A <laughs> sperm whale. Um and the card's mechanic itself sort of like creates that uh, Captain Ahab in each of your opponents. Because uh, when it enters the battlefield, each opponent creates a 1-1 red pirate creature token with this creature can't block and creatures you control attack each combat if able. Uh, so that, that pirate's going to lead your entire crew to try and kill this whale. Uh, and it is an 8-8, so good luck. They're called sperm whales because... The whale oil that exists in their head cavity, that is what they were hunted for, is called spermaceti, from uh, Greek meaning seed of the whale, because it is the thing that was harvested from whales. Thank you. The more you know. Yay. A cute art thing that's hard to see at card size, but if you look at the full art by Jason Angle for Liliana Stewart, uh, this is kind of a zombie butler that is existing in the vest manner and uh to to the side of him you can see a bust of liliana vest which is very clear but uh back behind him above the stairs on the left you can see a portrait that is very clearly liliana in her healer's robes from her pre-spark creature card and uh, there's another portrait on the other side which i can only assume is Josu. You know, it looks like a it's a, a young man in what's probably military garb. 
So that's a kind of cool little Easter egg in there. Yeah, the uh, the Liliana vertical cycle is really great. I um I love the Liliana's uh, devotee as well, which is a I believe that's the name of the card. Uh, yes, uh, which is a person who is sort of practicing their own necromancy uh, and is wearing a Liliana themed sort of outfit. <laughs> it's really cute. It's like a purple jacket with the Liliana's little crown or tiara aspects sewn into it. Um, and he even appears to have like drawn his own little tattoos on himself. Mm-hmm. Liliana inspires fans everywhere she goes. Uh, she is one of Magic's most popular characters. And then just to uh, to round it out, speaking of this, uh, one of my favorite little inclusions in the set um, is this card called Silver Smoke Ghoul, which is a zombie vampire, which I don't think we've ever seen before. And I don't know how that works. And there's a lot of questions about how you become both a zombie and a vampire. Were you a zombie first and then bitten by a vampire? Were you a vampire who was raised as a zombie? Were you an unfortunate offspring of a uh, zombie and vampire love affair? Yeah, I think it's a person who was was uh, bitten by a zombie and a vampire at the exact same moment. That's my headcanon. That is the unluckiest person in the multiverse. I guess, have we talked about every card we want to talk about? Uh, oh, no, there, there is one more. Oh, one, one more. Uh, or, you know, could you could say nine more. Oh, God, I love this art so much. I need to still Photoshop my roommate's cat into it. Um, this wonderful card called Nine Lives. And it has definitely taken over at least Magic Twitter by storm. I believe you have probably seen it. Uh, it is this gorgeous art by the amazing Paul Scott Can- uh, Canavan who did a fantastic picture of a ordinary looking kind of house cat. And then behind it in these golden clouds, you see its previous eight lives, its future eight lives. Um, But they are all these sort of faces of magic's most well-known legendary cats. Um, So we have some of, uh, of course, you know, we have the OG original legends, uh, Jedit O'Janan. Uh, we have Jazal, Ajani's brother, uh, Wasatora, who is the leader of the cat dragons, uh, Kahira of, you know, Ikoria fame, uh, or infamy, depending on how you feel about companions. Uh, we have Miri, uh, the former weather sh- weatherlight duelist, uh, Kimba, the Ka regent on Mirrodin, Marisi, who we just got in Commander 2019, and Erebo, the Urcat, kind of. Yeah, this piece is so, 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 so good. Like I said, I love art that references other pieces of magic art and other magic characters, and this one does it eight times, which is amazing. Paul also put up a version that does not have the house cat in the middle, so you can put a picture of your own cat in there if you want. You can check that out on his Twitter. And then one final aside that... I just want to mention, and may have no implications for the future, um, but we got the the tap lands that gain a life whenever they enter the battlefield, as reprinted in this set. Uh, and we've had them reprinted in a lot of sets recently. Uh, the art that is often used has been reprinted from Fate Reforged. This year, we got reprints of all of these pa- uh, all of these gain lands using the art from Cons of Tarkir instead. 
So you can see the dragon skeletons and bones in the art. Don't know what that means. Don't know what it says about the future of what we're going to do with Kar uh, Tarkir, but I thought it was interesting. No comment. <laughs> I'm allowed to speculate because I'm not under any sort of NDA. Um, but I think it's really cool, and I think it's nice to sort of get that thrown our way again. Um, but yeah, that is... I think that's the end of our flavor gems, unless there was anything else you wanted to, to mention, Lorelai. Uh, no, that's all the cards we wanted to talk about. Uh, Corset 2021 is going to be up on Arena this Thursday, June 25th, I believe, is the date. Uh, that update will probably happen... It usually happens around, like... 10 or 11 or noon uh, Eastern time, I think. Um, follow the uh, Arena Twitter account for whenever the update actually happens. Um, so that's exciting. It's uh, I'm excited for people to uh, get these cards physically in their hands if they are able. They're, uh, you know, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. So check with your local game stores to see uh, you know, how they are handling that kind of situation. Make sure to keep wearing your masks. Make sure not to spend too much time in large groups of people. Uh, check with your local or larger governments to see what all your regulations are at this time. And uh, when you can, uh, hopefully you can enjoy this set. Yeah, um, I'm excited for it. I'm also excited for next week when we're going to be talking about the flavor gems of Jumpstart, because we've got a lot of lot of fun things to talk about there. Um, by the time this episode is released, you will have seen our previews, or preview, or however you want to put it. You know, that's that's basically just gonna cover this episode. So thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast. <laughs>